Imagine That Studios and Karu Studios in association with Harper Voyager Books presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 1 The Official Anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Well, where would you like this case file? I think there's a small end table with nothing on it. Put it there. Mm, jolly good. Supply request for archives. One end table, small. Preferably iron. That was not my fault, Wellington. Look at the size of this case file. Oh, those must be addendum notes from my predecessor. Your predecessor? Contrary to popular belief, there was someone else down here before me. Perhaps not as economic with his words when it came to reports and evaluations. The man fancied himself a writer. (laughs) He wanted to be a writer. Good Lord, I can't imagine a profession more dire or dreary than that of a writer. I can. Actor. So, Welly, whatever happened to your predecessor? That seems to be a mystery in itself. He just... Disappeared. Disappeared? You mean, down here in the archives? So I was led to believe. It is a reason many people do not care to come down here. What do you think happened? Considering what we do for Queen and Country, anything. Hahnemann's Gift by Helen E. H. Madden The night was dark, black as sin and full of hidden secrets, much like the eyes of the beautiful woman trapped in his arms. Augustus Whitby knew from experience how dangerous this particular lady could be, and he dared not let her escape from his grasp. Lady Catherine Blackwell would just as likely stab him in the back with one of the wicked little stilettos she was known to keep hidden on her person as she was to kiss him. He certainly hoped she was in the mood for the latter, not the former. "'Tell me where it is,' he murmured to her. His voice was barely audible above the whispering night breeze that carried with it the exotic scents of incense and ripe fruit." offerings left by the local natives for the monkey god Hanuman, in whose temple they stood. "'Where is what?' the dusky-eyed lady murmured back, coy as always. Augustus smiled. "'You know what I mean, darling Catherine. Hanuman's gift. I'm sure you've seen it. Big gold statue thingy, in the shape of a monkey, encrusted with rubies and pearls.' The lady chuckled. "'Oh!' "'That gaudy thing. "'Really, my dear Augustus, I thought you had better taste.' "'This is not about taste, my dear. "'It's a matter of great importance to the Empire. "'That gaudy thing, as you call it, "'is a priceless relic of unfathomable mystical power. "'I've been charged by the Ministry to bring it back to London immediately. "'You see, they fear that in the wrong hands "'it could spell the end to Britain's rule over the crown jewel of the Empire.' "'And how could such a trinket do that?' the lovely thief said, flashing him a winsome smile. "'Well, it—it—I mean, I suppose it—' 
Oh, dash it all. Augustus Whitby threw down his pen, once again foiled by the cleverness of Lady Catherine Blackwell. It didn't matter that the woman was nothing more than words scratched into his personal journal. That particular character always found a way to confound him during his writing. He would no sooner have set just the right scene for one of his stories, a very romantic scene at that, than she would open her lovely mouth and utter something that would completely disrupt his entire plot. Like asking him questions about unimportant details he didn't have the answers for yet. Didn't that blasted woman understand that he was writing a story, for God's sake? He couldn't be bothered with such trivialities as the actual purpose of a mystical artifact. Wasn't it enough that the stupid thing existed in the first place? And that it threatened the British Empire? Augustus stared at his journal. The nib of his pen leaked a dark stain across the name of his main character, which was his name, of course. After all, why bother writing exotic tales of adventure if you couldn't write yourself into them? That's what those buffoons up at the Ministry's main office were always doing. He eyed the growing pile of boxes stacked before his desk, each one containing the so-called reports and collected evidence of the cases worked by the Ministry's field agents. When he'd first been assigned to work in the archives of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, he'd peeked into some of those boxes— even read through the reports. Utter rubbish. As if he was actually supposed to believe any of the nonsense stored in there. An underwater base in the lost city of Atlantis? Ridiculous. A mystical portal in Newgrange, Ireland, that opened a door to an alternate reality every winter solstice? Ha! Oh, sure, the field agents had an advantage over him in being able to travel to the settings for their little tales— if one spends a few weeks jaunting around South America, one is bound to get some of the local details right. But that was about as factual as any of these reports ever got, Augustus decided. The rest of it was sheer mystical mumbo-jumbo nonsense. He looked again at the boxes of case reports surrounding his desk, stacked five feet deep in places, and sniffed. His stories were much better than any field agents could ever be, even if he did never leave this miserable little hole Dr. Sound had assigned him to. He turned back to his journal and sighed. I should have been a journalist, he thought to himself. Then at least I could have gotten out a bit for my writing, and perhaps even become famous to boot. He picked up his pen and dipped it into the inkwell on his desk. Lady Blackwell's last words on the journal page taunted him. With a sigh, he did what he always did in such cases. He drew a large X over the entire story so far, a grand total of two full pages, the furthest he'd ever managed to get in any of his tales, and then he turned to the next blank page in the book. It was frustrating, but he couldn't imagine finishing the story at this point. He would abandon this tale and start anew, begin a different story, one that didn't involve the troublesome Lady Blackwell. Although he had to admit, of all his leading ladies, the sly and saucy brunette was his favorite. He pressed the nib of his pen to the blank page and began to write. It was a dark and stormy night. The door to the archives flung open. A tall figure stepped through. 
Even from this distance, Augustus recognized the polished blonde hair and arrogant bearing of Agent Harrison Thorne. Whitby! The agent's voice boomed into the cavernous confines of the archives. The sheer noise of it caused Augustus's pen to skid across the journal page, leaving a dark, ragged line behind it. Are you down there, you lazy devil? I've got a little present for you. Augustus snapped his journal shut and gritted his teeth. He knew all too well what Agent Thorne's present must be. Once again he eyed the pile of boxes sitting in front of his desk and groaned. Agent Harrison Thorne had completed yet another field mission and was now about to deposit the dregs of it at Augustus's feet. What joy! Thorne clattered down the four stories of stairs, humming a sprightly tune as he went. With far too much energy, Augustus thought, he crossed the expanse of the archive's main office and deposited the expected box on top of the growing wall created by its brothers. Bloody hell, Whitby! Don't you do a damn thing down here? I can see at least two of my previous reports still sitting where I last left them. I'm busy, Augustus snapped. He tapped the closed journal in front of him. In case you hadn't noticed, I have quite a bit of work to do. I'll say you do, Thorne replied, eyeing the boxed reports. Aren't you supposed to... I don't know, store these things? Some place other than right here where we agents leave them? Hmm. I can't be bothered with such menial tasks as lifting and filing. Wait, stop! That's my journal! Agent Thorne grinned and held aloft the leather-bound volume he had just snatched from Augustus's hands. Now, now, I just want to see what's so important that you don't have time to spare for anything else. Let's see here. He flipped through the book until a particular page caught his eye, and he began to read aloud. Oh, Augustus, the voluptuous redhead sighed. However shall we escape? There must be forty thuggies, and you are unarmed. Not quite, my dear, the brave Augustus answered, withdrawing a howitzer from the front of his trousers. Thorn broke off, his face crinkling into a poorly suppressed grin. Whitby, he choked out. You do realize a howitzer is a bit large to be stuffing down your trousers. Augustus snatched back the book. I haven't finished researching the details yet. I see. A snort of laughter escaped from between Thorne's compressed lips. Moments later, the tall man's body was shaking with the force of his guffaws. Oh, for God's sake, Whitby, whatever you do, don't let Dr. Sound catch you down here writing this drivel. You'll be out on the street in no time, and if you have to depend on your writing skills to survive, you'll starve. Obviously amused with this observation, Thorne threw back his head and howled. Augustus sneered. Oh, do laugh. I'm so glad to provide you with entertainment. But I could say the same things about you and your writing. I've read some of your so-called mission reports. Undead creatures who survive on the blood of the living. Ghostly apparitions of lost ships that lead sailors to their deaths in uncharted waters. Rubbish. At least my tales are meant to amuse. You agents simply make up your stories to justify your little jaunts around the world. You won't even admit that your reports are fiction. And second-rate at that. Agent Thorne's laughter quieted. Fiction, is it? 
You think we agents go out into the field and make up stories about how we risk our lives fighting for queen and country? Do you honestly believe anything you've written? Augustus challenged. Thorne's eyes narrowed. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Especially this last case. Shall I tell you about it? Agent Thorne settled on the edge of Augustus's desk and leaned over the smaller man. Augustus hated it when Thorne did this. He knew it was nothing but a deliberate attempt on Thorne's part to intimidate him. He would not let himself be bullied, though. He squared his shoulders and stared right back into Thorne's glinting eyes. Well, if you're going to tell, then tell, he said. The corners of Thorne's mouth turned up in a bitter smile. Right. I've been in India the last three weeks, in the village of Cheranjivi. It's in the jungles of Bombay. Oh, really? How was the weather? Delightfully hot and sticky. It's monsoon season, you know. How nice. And what did you do on your holiday, Agent Thorne? I was hunting for a monkey. Augustus raised an eyebrow at this. A monkey? Really? How exciting. This particular monkey was. Seems it was part of a pack that had become a menace to the village. The beasts had been preying upon the local population for some time, stealing food from people's houses, tearing up crops and such. They did quite a lot of damage, but the locals wouldn't touch them. Monkeys are considered sacred animals in India. The buggers even pillaged the holdings of a number of local British families, including those of an official recently assigned there, one Sir Chauncey Stewart by name. Sir Chauncey was an aide to the lieutenant governor in those parts, and he despised the creatures, thought they were a nuisance and ought to be done away with. So he called the ministry, and you got assigned to do pest control? I must say, I'm surprised an exalted agent such as yourself took on the case. It doesn't exactly sound like a ministry job. Thorne shook his head. It wasn't, and I was not called in at that point. As I said, the monkeys were revered by the village populace, despite the trouble they were causing, and Sir Chauncey was not willing to risk sparking a revolt by trampling local beliefs. So he let the matter be. But then one day, a few of the beasts attacked a child. The poor boy had made the mistake of wandering outside his home with a bit of food. When the monkeys saw him, they went after the tyke and damn near killed him, all for some fruit. This Sir Chauncey couldn't tolerate, so he prepared to deal with the monkeys on his own. He laid a trap in his garden one night, setting out a veritable feast for the creatures. Then he and a few soldiers from the local garrison waited for them to appear. They didn't have to wait long. As soon as the monkeys noticed the food, they clambered over Sir Johnsy's orchard wall, and the men began shooting. Killed quite a few of the beasts, it seems. The rest of the pack scattered, of course, leaving their fallen brethren behind. Their numbers were greatly reduced, and Sir Chauncey considered the problem to be solved. Unfortunately, his actions did not sit well with the villagers. So there was an uprising? No. Though the people were very upset, the local Pandaren came that very night to Sir Chauncey's house and told him that he had committed a sacrilege, and that if he did not do penance for it immediately, Hanuman would curse them all. 
Augustus's ears pricked up. He slid a hand over his journal. Hanuman, the monkey god. Thorne nodded. The same. Of course, Sir Chauncey, being a practical sort of man, refuted the Pandaren's threats. He even stated that Hanuman should reward him for having rid the village of such violent pests. Then he sent the old man away and prepared to dispose of the dead animals cluttering his garden. But some time during the priest's visit, one of the corpses disappeared. And that's when the real trouble began. Thorne's voice grew quieter now. Augustus had to strain to hear him. There were reports, a few nights later, of a creature haunting the village. People spoke of a monkey, diseased in appearance, and particularly violent in manner. Sounds like the creature was rabid, Augustus said. That's not uncommon in India. Thorne snorted. This particular beast had something much nastier than rabies. The thing was covered in lesions, skin practically rotting off its bones, and a poisonous mixture of foam and blood dripped from its jaws. It was quickly surmised that this monkey was the one who'd gone missing from Sir Chauncey's garden that night. He'd shot it, but not killed it, and now it suffered from some sort of infection in its wounds. It roamed the jungles beyond the village, stealing food but never eating it. Then the occasional small animal started showing up dead, torn apart with vicious bite marks on its head and neck. It wasn't long after that that it started attacking the villagers. Thorn leaned closer to Augustus and dropped his voice to a whisper. Tell me, Whitby, do you know what kind of damage a monkey can do when it attacks a person? Well, they're wild animals. I imagine they can be quite vicious. Still, one monkey. Thorn held up a finger. One monkey, one small monkey, can cripple a person. They're damned fast and as you said, quite vicious. They scratch, they bite, they tear off fingers and gouge out eyes. Bloodthirsty beasts. But this creature was even worse. After weeks of terrorizing the natives in Chiranjeevi, it made its way to Sir Chauncey's domicile. Sir Chauncey had a wife, Catherine, a very beautiful young woman, raven-haired, dark eyes, sweet-tempered, and just twenty years old. She and Sir Chauncey were only recently married and very much in love. One night, while her husband worked late in his library, Mrs. Stewart left open the windows to the bedroom. It was hot and she wanted to let in the evening breeze, but she let in something else as well. Not long after she retired for the night, Sir Chauncey heard a horrific screaming. He raced from the library to the bedroom. When he flung open the door, he saw his wife collapsed upon the floor, an unholy beast crouching on her chest. It was a monkey. The thing had buried its fangs into her cheek. It tore away half her face, even as he watched. He shouted and began throwing things at it. Books, a jewelry box, one of Catherine's slippers, anything he could get his hands on. But the creature merely dodged all his missiles and remained where it was, grinning like the devil himself and shrieking with unholy laughter. At this, Augustus cleared his throat. The slight noise sounded surprisingly harsh in the gathering shadows of the archives. Ah, uh, you must be mistaken, Agent Thorne. Monkeys don't grin. 
or laugh. This one did. Thorn leaned very close now, until he was almost nose to nose with Augustus. It laughed. It held up its paws, covered in the woman's blood, and it laughed. He drew back suddenly. Of course, I don't blame you for not believing that part of the tale. I didn't believe it either when I first interviewed Sir Chauncey. But then I heard it for myself a few nights later. It's a noise I'll never forget. Thorne shivered. He actually shivered. Augustus wasn't sure if he was acting or not, but he had never seen such a display of emotion from the imposing agent before. What happened next? Augustus asked. Sir Chauncey's shouts brought the rest of the household running. In the face of greater numbers, the creature fled. But by then, the damage was done. Catherine was badly mauled. The thing had shredded her once beautiful face, tearing off her lower lip and left cheek. Her right eye was gone. She was missing most of the fingers on one hand. She was a nightmare to behold. I arrived on the scene two days after the attack. She was feverish by then, having succumbed to the same disease that afflicted her assailant. She couldn't speak anymore. She just howled. Long, hoarse cries of agony ripped from her throat as she suffered in the grip of a terrible fever. She couldn't drink. Her tongue was so badly swollen and her skin burned to the touch. The lesions had already begun to appear by the time I saw her, and her fair, once flawless skin was rotting away before her husband's eyes. She lingered in that state of misery for another two days before she died. Too bad that wasn't the end of it for her. Thorn paused to stare at Augustus. The smaller man felt himself wither beneath the field agent's chilly gaze. Shall I tell you the rest, Whitby? Or shall I leave it to your fertile imagination to complete the tale? Augustus grimaced. You're a horrible storyteller, Thorn. You know that? How can you possibly walk away from a tale at a point like this? Death was not the end for that poor woman? What more could she possibly have endured? She was buried alive, Thorn replied. His words echoed in the stillness of the archives. At least we hope she was. The alternative is too horrific to consider. Three days after her husband laid her to rest, Catherine Stewart vanished from her grave. I was deep in the jungle by then, tracking the beast that had attacked her. The trail wasn't hard to follow. The creature left plenty of destruction in its wake. But I rushed back to Chiranjeevi as soon as I received the message from Sir Chauncey. To say that his wife's grave had been disturbed would be a blatant understatement. The ground had been torn open, the lid of the casket reduced to splinters. There was blood and bits of rotting flesh found among the debris. And of course, there were footprints. But only one set. And those only led away from the grave, not toward it. Good Lord, Augustus whispered. That poor woman. She awoke in a casket and clawed her way out of her own grave? Thorn nodded. The infection wasn't done with her yet, apparently. It had put her in a death-like state, but then revived her for the final stages of the disease. 
We quickly found her in the village. Delirious, she shambled through the streets, howling and attempting to attack any person she saw. The locals were terrified and wouldn't do a damn thing to help catch her. She was cursed, they all said, punished by Hanuman for her husband's actions. So I assembled a team from the local garrison. Six men besides myself and Sir Chauncey, all hardy British soldiers, seasoned veterans not prone to superstition. Together we went back to the village and followed Catherine at a distance, waiting to see what she'd do. I had hoped to capture her. If she were still alive, we might be able to cure her. But then she arrived at the outskirts of the village, at the local temple. Hanuman's temple, Augustus breathed. The very same. And who should be waiting there for that poor woman in a nearby pipple tree but that damnable monkey? Thorn paused to rub his face. It occurred to Augustus that the man looked tired, exhausted even. Did you capture them? Either the monkey or the girl? No. Thorn looked in Augustus's direction, but didn't seem to see him. When we reached the temple, something happened. The monkey howled as Catherine approached, almost as though it were speaking to her. She stopped, then turned toward us. When the beast howled again, she attacked. I have never seen anyone move in such a way. She was fast, and frightfully so. We must have been fifty paces behind her. She crossed that distance in less than a second. It was her husband she went for, splitting the night sky with her screeches as she clawed at his face. I wanted to save her. She was so bloody young. But in that moment... Thorn's hands returned to his face, covering his eyes. Two of us drew our pistols at the same time. Myself and one of the soldiers who had come on the hunt with us. I can't say which of us shot at her first. We were at quite close range. What about the monkey? Augustus asked in a hushed voice. We shot that too. Or rather, Sir Chauncey shot it. After he pushed his way from beneath his wife's corpse, he went after the thing, chased it into the temple. It scaled the shrine until it sat on the shoulders of the statue of Hanuman. That's when I heard it laugh, Whitby. I saw its teeth glinting in the moonlight as it favored us with its feral grin, and it laughed. It was too much for Sir Chauncey. He fired at the thing, blasting it from its perch, and then he emptied his pistol into it, right there at the foot of the monkey god himself. The Pandaren wasn't happy about it, to say the least. He raced into the temple and accused Sir Chauncey of bringing Hanuman's wrath upon the village by killing a sacred emissary. Sir Chauncey responded by striking the man to the ground and then trying to beat him to death. Pretty soon the rest of the villagers joined in the brawl, and we were right in the thick of it, trying to quash a native revolt. It was a bloody mess. In the end, we managed to settle the matter. After the fighting quieted down, and Sir Chauncey had been dragged away. I explained to the priest that we had done the village a service by taking care of that monstrosity. Everyone had known it was a danger, but religious dictates prevented the locals from doing anything about it. So we outsiders took care of the matter for them. It helped that Sir Chauncey decided to quit his post in India as well. The man was broken by his wife's demise. 
He was planning her second funeral when I left, and intended to leave as soon as she was buried again. Augustus snorted. You're certain the lady was dead this time? She took two shots at close range, Whitby. We only blew off half her head and left a gaping hole in her chest. Anyway, now here we are in the archives, where I give you my case notes and wash my hands of the whole ordeal. So, what do you think of my story? Hmm. Augustus brought his hands together and peered at Thorne over his steepled fingers. I think it's got a lousy ending. All that death and destruction. Where's the beautiful lady to give you a kiss? And what about the hero's reward? Thorne sighed. Weren't you listening? The beautiful lady in this tale died. As for the hero's reward... He shrugged. Well, I suppose the Pandaren did present me with a rather odd gift of thanks for my efforts. What? An emerald necklace? Gold? A map to untold treasures? Augustus leaned forward, eager to hear this tidbit, but Thorne shook his head. Nothing like that, I'm afraid. What I got was the monkey. You got what? The monkey. His paw, anyway. Right before I left Chiranjivi, the priest came to visit me. He said Hanuman had appeared to him in a vision, and told him to give it to me as a reward for my taking care of such a difficult problem. And he put a bit of magic on it, telling me it would grant three wishes to three men. I accepted it with my thanks, and brought it back here. It's in the box, along with my notes. Ah. Oh. "'Surely you don't expect me to store it in here?' "'Whitby, I don't expect you to store anything,' the agent said, "'glancing once again at the piled-up boxes of reports. "'Thorne got up from his perch on Augustus's desk "'and headed for the stairs leading out of the archives. "'He was on the third story when Augustus called out. "'What about your wishes? Did you make any? "'What do you think?' Thorne called back. Augustus chewed his lower lip for a moment. I think you did. So you believe my story, then, Thorne said. He leaned over the stair railing with an expectant look on his face. No, but I think you believe it. So what did you wish for? What else? A beautiful woman to share my life of adventure and a nice place to retire to when I'm no longer suited for this line of work. You know, some place where I can lounge around all day in my pajamas. Thorne laughed at that, but Augustus scowled. That's only two wishes. What about the third? Don't need it. Those are the only things really missing from my life. But tell me, Whitby, what would you wish for? If you believed in my tale, that is... They stared at each other across the vast space of the archives for long moments. Then, with a smile, Thorne turned and ascended the final story of stairs. The door to the archives squealed as he pulled it open. Then it clanged shut behind him. Nonsense, Augustus muttered. Absolute, utter nonsense. If he really expects me to believe that tale... He glared at the box Thorne had left behind 
just to prove the field agent wrong. He got up and pulled off the lid. I don't know who he thinks he's fooling. There's no monkey's paw in here. Oh, good heavens! Augustus jumped back, dropping the lid of the box. He stared aghast at the contents he had revealed. Atop a thick stack of papers and two leather-bound journals rested what looked like a small bundle of brittle twigs wrapped in moldy, pus-colored parchment, except that the parchment had tufts of yellowed fur clinging to it in places, and the bundled twigs ended in black, ragged nails. Augustus snatched up his pen from his desk and prodded at the pall until he could clearly see the amputated ends of bones sticking out of the wrist. "'Oh, disgusting! I should file a complaint with Dr. Sound about this. How dare Thorn leave such a gruesome thing here with me? This and that story of his are nothing but blatant attempts at intimidation and harassment. I shall most definitely be filing a complaint.' He shoved the lid back on the box and stalked back to his chair. He would forget Agent Thorne's tale and the unpleasant trophy he had left behind. After all, Augustus had stories of his own to write, much better stories than anything Thorne could tell. He was quite certain Thorne had made up the whole affair on the spot. In fact, it even sounded as though he had stolen certain details from Augustus's own writing. "'the temple of Hanuman, the beautiful young woman named Catherine with dark hair and eyes, "'even the phrase, Hanuman's gift. "'Hadn't he, Augustus Whitby, just written those same details "'only moments before Thorne had entered the archives? "'The man was a thief, a stealer of ideas. "'But let him steal as many stories as he liked. "'Augustus would simply write more. "'He would write one now, in fact.' He returned to his seat, pulled out his journal, dipped his pen into the inkwell, and turned to a blank page. He would write. Uh, he would write. Um, damnation! He stared at the blank page, completely at a loss as to how to fill it. He hated this part of writing. Why did beginning a tale always have to be so hard? He blew out his lips and cast a dark glance at the door four stories above, the one through which Thorne had recently exited. It would be much easier to write adventures if someone would just let him out of this miserable prison so he could have one, he thought. He rested his head on the open journal and sighed. God, I wish it wasn't so bloody boring down here. To be continued. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, order your copy of Phoenix Rising, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, from your favourite bookstore or online from Amazon.com barnesandnoble.com or the iBookstore. Original music composed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org
Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru Studios, Harper Voyager Production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.